<clears throat> the scripture this morning is out of John. And we're going to do 13th chapter, verse 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The word of God for the people of God. The person who had gone out at the very beginning of that passage was Judas. This became the point of no return. Once Judas went out, the die was cast, the ball was rolling, and all the other idioms that we can think of. In the verses just prior to our passage today, Jesus says to Judas to do what you're going to do quickly. So Judas ate some bread and went out into the night. And because Judas was the keeper of the common purse, the others assumed that Jesus was talking to him about procuring something for the group and didn't really think much of it. But really, Jesus had just gone directly to the one who was going to betray him and say, okay, let's get this going. It will come as no surprise that in this passage, Jesus transforms the contextual understanding of a few things. Even in his last moments with his disciples, he is teaching. He is breaking down the stigmas that they are living with. He is redefining the world through new eyes. This passage is almost like a covenant ceremony. It gives a public announcement of Jesus' glorification, departure, and new commandment, and the start of a new community known as Christians. In these four verses, these three sections are of utter importance. Glory and fame are the currency in American pop culture. The pursuit of glory and the public's captivation with those who seem to have it is nothing new, though. This concept has been around as long as there has been life. Although our digital age has caused the speed in which we learn about the triumphs and tribulations of those we obsess over and assume to have glo the glory that many of us desire, juicy details have always spread like wildfire. Not long ago, I was talking with someone who used to be a teacher. Before the days of the internet and smartphones, she wanted to impress upon her students how quickly gossip can spread. So she told them a harmless tidbit about herself during her first hour class. By the time second hour started, other kids had already heard it. And by the end of the day, the harmless tidbit had evolved into something somewhat ridiculous, and, was, and there was hardly a person in the school who had not heard it. 2,000 years ago, people were just as inclined to seek after the information and talk about it as they are today. Jesus himself had high acclaim, 
his reputation starting to spread out further and further so that even the Greeks were interested in this it boy. He had become so popular that the Pharisees took notice at how the whole world had gone after him, meaning that the people had become really obsessed with him. The glory that Jesus was talking about is not the glory that the people were used to. Glory meant statues, parades, faces on coins, and all of that stuff. As far as the people knew at this time, the Roman Empire was the top and only government in the world. And Caesar was the one that was glorious. It was a difficult concept for the people to grasp. Inundated with the glory of Caesar and the empire, understanding what Jesus meant with his brand of glory, they became confused between what they knew and what they had been told. When Jesus speaks about glory to God, it takes on components of heavenly splendor, of the wonders of God's kingdom. So when John writes of the glorification of God and of Jesus, he is referring to the world recognizing their heavenly status. Sadly, that recognition will only come from the cross. For the world will truly see the glory of God. For the world to truly see the glory of God, Judas must walk out that door. Peter must deny Jesus. Death and betrayal are unfortunate yet necessary for the glorification of God through Jesus Christ. God is glorified through humble and sacrificial action. Jesus' commandment to love is not new in the sense that it had never been commanded before. There are examples of it all the way back to Leviticus. The newness of the commandment is in the humility of God as revealed through through Christ's death and of compassion. And it is new because of the community that comes after the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. Among the ancient theological scholars and bishops, Jesus' command to love raised an important question. How is this command truly different? Cyril of Alexandria, Augustine, and many others knew of Leviticus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. So really, what could be the difference? Both Cyril and and Augustine were from the same time period in the same area. They presided over the church in Africa in the early 5th century. But even though they worked together, they had slightly different takes on this. Augustine believed that Jesus meant a spiritual love, distinguished from, quote, all carnal affection. Called Called the disciples to... Love one another as those who are God's. As in belonging to God, not lowercase g. Cyril takes on the situation a little bit differently. He felt that the laws of Moses created the necessity to love our brothers and sisters as ourselves. But Jesus' love, but Jesus loves us far more than he loved himself. Cyril said that otherwise, Jesus would never have descended to our kind from his original place in heaven, nor undergone the anguish of his death for our sake, nor would he have submitted to the torture he received before even getting to the cross. The newness of the commandment of love is indeed really something when we look at it that way. 
While Jesus was speaking to the disciples this last time, he was urging them to be patient with each other in the days ahead. It was important to Jesus and his ministry that even though, even through the betrayal and the torture that was about to occur, the disciples must care for one another. They must forgive one another. And they must forgive those that carried out his sentence. Perhaps it was in his earnest to have them understand his words, but he set aside his usual cadence of parable and paradox. He simply gives the order, love one another. He just got straight to the point. One commentator describes the commandment as simple enough for a toddler to, to memorize and appreciate, but profound enough that most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed of how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's really not that hard. A lot of our religious traditions stem from these words from Jesus. Faith is not just about belief, it is also about practice. Religion is not just having a belief or accepting difficult ideas, but is about doing things that change you. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, we become changed. When we love one another as Jesus has loved us, which is far more than we love ourselves, we are changed. We cannot say that we are Christians and not acknowledge that a change has happened in our lives the moment we accepted Christ. So often we concern ourselves over who is more orthodox in their belief and practice or who has a revisionist approach in their faith. Perhaps the more important question should be who most effectively reveals the presence of love of Jesus Christ in their lives. Jesus did not say to the disciples, they will know you are Christians if you believe the right things. They will know you are Christians by your love. We have to show our love to each other while we still can. We cannot make the mistake of not taking every opportunity to tell each other and to show each other the love of Jesus Christ. Through our interactions with each other, through our words, we have opportunities galore to show the world the love of Jesus. People, do not, people who do not know Christ are watching our behaviors. They are listening to our words. They can start to see Jesus through us. And we must embrace that role in our lives before they stop watching or stop listening because maybe they heard something and encountered something from us that was anything but the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke to the disciples plainly that day. He speaks to us plainly through this text. Little children, he says. Although wanting to give the straight-to-the-point declaration about his departure from this earth, he spoke with kind understanding. Little children, I am going away soon. You can't come with me, but I'll be back for you. And while I'm gone, this is what I want you to do. 
In these words, Jesus' departure becomes his arrival into glorification. The tenderness of his words connect the terror of his death to the comfort of his promised return. It all leads to glory for the triune God and for those who follow them as well. Our first step in helping the world understand such glory is to allow the love of Christ to take root in us so that it can flourish, so that others may flourish. When we have Christ at the center of our community, the glory of God comes to us in a breath, better and purer than any argument could ever accomplish. Amen.